0: Um, we're going to jump back into our series in Ephesians. We're picking up steam pretty fast here um, as we go through this. Uh, we've been in the book all year, and uh, by the grace of God, we will get through it this year. And all the people said, "Well, you guys haven't liked it." I was all giddy excited to get out of it, and I like, hurt my feelings. Um, no, we've we've been in it. We're now in, we're we're embarking into chapter five um, of the book of Ephesians, and so uh, I'm excited about this this morning. Um, What I want you to do, actually, if you could for me, is actually go to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter uh, uh, 15. The story really starts in verse 11, but we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And uh, while you guys are going there, I'm actually going to, while you're flipping there in your Bibles and tablets and stuff, I want to read just a few verses real fast, uh, just to kind of get them in our hearing. I'm not really going to, per se, preach off of these. I just want them kind of in your mind, kind of there, in the back of your head so that as they kind of get, as we tie some things together this morning, these can kind of help be some glue that'll stick that stuff together. This is John chapter five, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Proof that God's a Honda lover. Don't laugh. Don't. It'll just make me want to do it more. Uh, But only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then Philippians 2, verse 8. Paul, speaking of Jesus here, says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself, himself being Jesus, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we have Luke, verse 15. Or chapter 15, rather, verse 13. This is a familiar story, so much so to the point at which, even if you haven't ever been in church before and never been around uh, kind of the churchy Bible Jesus world, uh, this story has kind of seeped into culture. That's the story of the prodigal son. For those of you who are unfamiliar or need a refresher, the prodigal son is a a parable that Jesus told in the context of uh, three parables about things getting lost and being found. He tells the story of the lost son, or what we call the prodigal son. Story goes like this. There was an apparently wealthy man who had two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son said, Dad, I would rather you be dead and have your money than be alive and have your presence. So I would rather you just give me my inheritance now. I'm going to pretend that you're dead and go live my life apart from me. I don't want to wait until you're dead to get my inheritance. Can I just have it now? And for whatever reason, the father was like, Sure goes ahead and divides the portion between his two sons and gives his inheritance to his younger son. And we pick up the story now at verse 13. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered, underline, highlight, circle that word, squandered his possessions in reckless living. I love the wording of the Bible, because we all know exactly what that is. Some of us, better than others. Don't go there. Stay with me. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. I love the wording here. I don't have time to preach it, but I love the wording here. It's almost as if you get the picture here that this, this little boy, this little kid, right, he's raised in his father's house. His dad has everything he needs. He gives him all that he has need of. All of his needs are met. All of his, all of his desires are probably met too, right? And now he, he goes off. He engages in reckless living. Junk drawer for just debauchery and sin, Right? Goes and squanders everything. And for the first time in his life, it seems from the reading of the text, he finds himself now in need. Verse six, uh, 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Catch the distinction here. He's, he's the son of his father, right? And he goes and he goes to a far country. And now he's, he's selling himself as a slave, as a servant to somebody in that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. I wish I could go into the significance of that. Don't have time. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, again, highlight, underline, circle that. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my fathers, my fathers, Hired servants have more than enough bread, not pods of pigs, but bread. But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long, highlight, circle, underline, long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. To stop here real fast. We miss completely in English what just happened. So I have to, I wasn't gonna go here. It's not in my notes. Um, We miss completely what just happened here. He, you have to understand the, the, the historical and cultural context of the time. If this guy was wealthy enough to have inheritance to give his kids, right, then this was, this was probably a, a high up, upstanding kind of businessman, somebody in our day who would wear cufflinks. Not like a 19-year-old kid who just subscribed to GQ and wears cufflinks. I mean, like he has a reason to wear cufflinks, right? They didn't come with the shirt, you know what I mean? <laughs> There buttons with stringing between them. Um, no, like legit. This is, a, this is a successful guy. Well, in his day, what he would have been wearing is what you and I would call a dress. A long robe. So it's manly. A long robe. In his day, it was considered very, very, very indecent and actually even to the point of being shameful for a man to show his legs. How do you like that, ladies? It was, it was reverse. Guys were not, his ankles and his knees, no one should see those. That's like, no, no. Well, he's wearing a big, heavy, long robe. He sees his son afar off. Catch this, please. His son, literally, it doesn't say that his son was was being, you know, somehow being melodramatic thinking he was dying. His son was starving to death. How much chance do you think his son had to get home? Starving to death. Remind us us here that, that where we are in the world in this story is in the aerated desert. So the father sees him coming afar off and has compassion upon him and runs. What do you, Ladies, you, you'll back me up on this. When you were in your prom dress, there was something required to run. Right? Like this, not going to do it, right? You had to lift that dress up to run. Am I correct in this? Don't ask me how I know this. And just don't go there. Reckless living. Just don't go there, okay? And and Never. So he runs, he has to lift up, shaming himself. The whole town would have seen his shame, his ankles, his knees, he ran. But that's not even the part that gets me every time I read this. I, this is one of those areas where we use the ESV here because I think it's the, the best overall translation for the way that we kind of do things here. And, uh, but this is one area where I don't really like the way they decided to word it because literally what it says in the Greek here, when you get to this, he ran and fell upon him, It literally says that he buried his face in his throat and neck and kissed him and kept kissing him. That word kiss isn't like, okay, welcome home. It says it kissed and kept kissing. One one commentator who was pointing this out that I read this week was hilarious. He said, kissing to the point of it being embarrassing is this word. Like, how many of y'all remember, usually it's around second or third grade when your mom wants to kiss you goodbye at school and that feeling you got? Like, mom, please, Seriously? That's what it's talking about, and this is a grown man, and he's kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing and kissing him, and he's there. It's okay. God's doing stuff. We're all right. Let God move here, and we stay here. We're good, and he's kissing him, and he's embracing him. The word here for, for, for neck and throat, literally, the, the picture here is that the most vulnerable part of his body, the, most, the, most, the, the part that's the hardest to cover and hide and keep safe, the most intimate place he could, he buries, the father buries himself there and kisses him, embraces him. Pick up the story now. We get the picture. We see what happened here. And then I love this. I absolutely love what the son does here. So this has already happened. The father's already embarrassed himself, run, embraced him, kissed him, and hugged him. But how many of y'all remember, like me, come on, reckless living, when when you knew you stayed out too long and dad was waiting up, you knew mom or dad would be waiting up when you got home, right? And so what did you do on the way home? You wrote a speech and you rehearsed it, (laughs) right? And that's exactly what we see here. Because we saw him earlier say, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise up. I'm going to say, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Da, da, da. And so we see, like, he's already had this, like, super awkward moment as if maybe maybe God or the Father here hasn't yet received him. He thinks he still needs to go over the speech that he's practiced because, dang it, he practiced and he's going to use it. I love it. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but... The father, please hear this. But the father said to his servants, distinction here, not his son, his servants bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And is found, and they began to celebrate. Let's go to Ephesians chapter five. I want this fresh in our mind. I want to talk more about it. We'll talk more about it in a minute. Ephesians chapter five, verse one. Ephesians five, verse one. Remember this story. Remember, Remember what happened. Keep it fresh in your mind. Because I, I honestly, up until last night, we were going to do two verses today. Some of you hung out of a lot, you get this. But, but honestly... As I looked at this, I think we have to see this in the totality of its context. I think when you separate verses one and two, this is gonna make sense in a second when we read it. When you separate verses one and two from verses three through 14, it no longer is the picture that I think God is trying to give us here. Ephesians five, verses one through 14. Therefore, therefore, because Christ has redeemed you, reconciled you, is working his will in your spirit, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Remember, we've already gone here. Remember this. Therefore, because you've already been redeemed, okay, everything I'm about to say, if you have not yet experienced the regenerated power of the Holy Spirit and and the application of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, if you have not yet been saved, none of this is for you. (laughs) Love you. But it's not for you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual morality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Saints there literally means something that is holy. Holy. Let there be no filth, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Are you getting the the contrast here? There's sons of God and there's sons of disobedience. There's ways that sons of God live and there's ways that sons of disobedience live. Verse 7 Therefore do not become partners with them for at one time you were darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This, is, this to me is one of the, this is, this is a huge area that we need to get in our heads because it, it so completely and concisely just breaks down and, and, and disarms this idea that when I sin and when I fall short and when I make a mistake, the best thing I can do is to hide. Pretend like I'm better than I am. And this here says, no, no, don't, don't, don't partake in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that are done in secret. This idea of tying together shame and secrecy. But, that's a big but, verse 13, when anything is exposed to light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray and jump in here this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's alive and active, that it's living and powerful, that it is good and holy and just. And we thank you that you speak to us through it. And so, God, we come to you this morning humbly asking you to speak to us. God, humbly asking that you would come and have your way. God, humbly asking that where we are limited in our ability to hear you, you would overcome that. Where preconceived ideas and and wrong, wrong thinking and not right perspectives cloud our ability to hear you talk to us, God, God, would you come and disarm and expose those things that we might come to you and be granted repentance and be changed and be transformed not by our trying, but by your doing, not by works, but by grace, not by effort, but by surrender. that we might be transformed to live more like the sons that you've already made us. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. If you need a title for this morning, we're going to talk about the mystery of sonship the mystery of sonship. So we have these two stories. And, and honestly, I wonder, as I read these verses in Ephesians, if Paul was not remembering the story of the prodigal. Because they dovetailed and they tie together so beautifully. Paul here is, is not trying to give us, in my opinion, a list of you shouldn't do these things and you should do these things but rather what Paul here is trying to do is expose the difference of identity between somebody who has not been reconciled to Christ, who has not had their identity changed to being a son, and one who still has and is still in the process of realizing who they are in Christ. Sons of disobedience versus children of God, children of light against children of darkness, those who are shameful and hide in secret and those who expose and live in light invisibility let's just chew through this here real fast he says therefore be that word be is not a suggestion in the greek it's a command he calls us to be imitators or mimics of god he doesn't say you're going to be god come on let's get that theology out of the church once and for all you are never going to be god In my sin and in my fallenness, I can honestly admit that there have been times where I have prayed, God, if you would just make me God, I could fix a lot of problems down here. But ultimately, I know that's not the best thing. He's right. (laughs) Calls us to imitate him like we read Jesus in his earthly ministry. Imitated what he saw the Father doing. Later in this passage, it says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We've talked about this, and I'm not gonna go back into it here, but we've talked about the way God moves in our hearts, in our spirit, into our flesh. It's, it's, It's an internal motivating, an internal changing, an internal transformation that takes place as we are regenerated and reconciled and brought near to Christ. Where we're called to be imitators of God, I think the reason this, this comes out as a command is not so much because he's saying you should want to do this, but he's informing you that the redeemed, reconciled life with Christ is one where you will be a mimicker, an imitator, a, 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 a partaker of the nature of God in your life. It's just the way it is. Not because you want to, because come on somebody, if you haven't figured this out yet, there are going to be days where you don't want to. There's gonna be whole seasons of your life where God is calling you to something and you don't want to. This verse is not written to try to convince you to. It simply states that you are to be an imitator, I think for two reasons. One, because fundamentally, and please hear me on this, the genetic structure of your spirit has been changed. You have gone from being, he says, you used to be a child of darkness, you are now a child of light. And I love this, I've shared this before, Um, all of us, if you have been redeemed, if you have been reconciled with Christ, if you've picked Jesus, depending on your theology, then you have become a son of God. Ladies, you are a son of God. Biblically speaking, you are a son of God, because only sons get an inheritance, in the culture of scripture. So therefore, it was an honor for the New Testament to call you a brother in Christ. It was an honor to call you a son in Christ. Now, if you think that's sexist, don't worry. It also calls us all the bride of Christ. And I guarantee you it's easier for you to be a son than it is for me to be a bride. So we're equally offended, okay? But I, I, I was told my whole life, and so, so, so genetically, you've become a son which means that there is a blueprint, a track that is going to make you like your father. I was I was told my whole life how much I look like my mom. I have four brothers and two sisters, and I and, and a lot of my brothers were always told how much they look like my dad, and I was always told how much I look like my mom. So I just kind of grew up assuming that I looked like my mom and not my dad, until the invention of Facebook. How many of y'all ever remember looking at it? You looked at a picture of yourself like once a year before Facebook, and now I have hundreds of them. I swear I've taken more pictures and put them online of my kids than my dad ever looked at me. (laughs) Thank you, Facebook. And we were on vacation and hanging out with my dad at a coffee shop or a bar or something, and somebody snapped, I don't know who snapped the picture, and they put it on Facebook. And this is embarrassing for me because it's a horrible picture of me, but... um, this picture got posted on my Facebook. That's my dad, and that's me. That's my dad. I look like my mom, though. <laughs> I couldn't help it. People could say all they wanted that I look like my mom. I look like my dad. He has slightly more facial hair than me. At this point in his life, I told him he had like the inn at every single mall in America to be Santa. Love you, Dad. Save on the beard and the stuffing. He was perfect. I love my father. It commands us to be imitators of God, first off, because we're going to be. This is, this is where the Spirit is going to be motivating you. This is where your spirit, connected to his Spirit, is going to be moving. So be an imitator. But I think the other reason is this, and maybe I want us to hear this more, You're called to be an imitator because God wills it. And here's what I mean by that. He's faithful even when you're not. He's more committed to your transformation than you are. So therefore, be an imitator of God. Then he launches then into this, don't allow sin, impurity, wickedness to be a part of you. Because he says we need to walk in love as Christ Loved us and gave himself. He loved us. He offered himself. He sacrificed. This is why I think we need, he puts this up here. He reminds us look, I'm not about to give you a list of things to do to become a son. Rather, I'm telling you, don't act like you're not a son because you are. The son in the prodigal son ran off and no longer lived like a son, but he never stopped being a son. It was when he came to himself. Literally, the picture there is when he remembered who he was. I have a dad. Why am I in a pig pen? I have a dad with money. Why am I in a pig pen? Some of y'all who are in college and away from home right now are like, I'm going home. (laughs) I'm paying $3 to do my own laundry. Yeah, exactly. Go home. (laughs) Go home. He realized he had a home. He had a father. He had an identity that was greater than a pig feeder. But yet notice what happened. The son's desires began to change. He desired to eat pig food. Realized that for a Jew, it was against the law to eat a pig, let alone the food the pig ate. Paul is warning us here is that as you you give into, and again, I'm not going to put the circles back up. As you give in to the flesh and death begins to go in your spirit, a channel, a pattern, a habit is built and you find yourself being pulled away by desires that are contrary to your nature. Again, this is not, he calls us here a saint, which literally means a holy thing. But catch this. I'm going to read this verse again because I think it's important. Verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. He already called you a saint. He doesn't say, He doesn't say, be a mimicker of uh, of God so you can be a son. He doesn't say, be sinless so you can be a saint. He says, You are a saint, so why would you sin? You already are holy. Why would you corrupt that with sin? You already are a son. Why would you act any different? Why would you eat pig food? Are you hearing me this morning? Why would you live this way? You're a son of God. Why would you live like a child of darkness? Saint means holy. He calls, it, he calls you it already. The reason, why, the reason why he says here that the children that live this way, the people that live this way, have no inheritance is because inheritance is only for kids, for sons. Sons become stewards of what their father has. So do you want an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, or do you want the inheritance that the world is going to give you? Because ultimately the son, the prodigal son, realized what the world was going to give him, a job feeding pigs. His father gave him an inheritance of what he had, his nature, his, his attributes, his likeness. Come on, somebody. The call here is not to work to become a son. The call is to remember, to come to yourself and realize that in Christ you have already been reconciled to God and been made a son. That's grace. It's unfruitful to live any other way. He squandered his inheritance on reckless living. I just (laughs) love the way the Bible reads. I love the way Jesus talks to us. Because we all, I mean, I joked about it, but we all know that. We all... Instantly we know Vegas, right? Like instantly we know what this kid did. Like no need to detail, no need to write it out, no need to give me new ideas of ways I can recklessly live. Like he just gives it like, look, he squandered it on reckless living. Suddenly for the first time ever found himself in need. Suddenly for the first time ever finds himself with nothing. Because the land that he thought, please hear me, the land that he thought would be filled with great freedom and joy and great, awesome, amazing experiences, he quickly found out was in famine. There was nothing growing there. There was nothing that he could glean from that place. So all he could do was give and he could receive nothing. As a pastor, I've had to sit across from couples and I can tell you that barrenness is Painful. Intimacy that produces nothing ultimately becomes painful. I think between counseling with couples that are going through barrenness and miscarriage, they're probably the hardest things for me as a pastor to to have to sit and just tell somebody, I don't know why, I don't know what's going on, I just know that God loves you and he's good. through the midst of this, First Corinthians, through the midst of these trials, he's going to comfort you in a way that's going to allow you to comfort others in a way that you never would have been otherwise. And I don't know why, and I don't understand his will, and if I could change it, I would, and I'm going to pray and hope that I can. When our lives are much like that, where where we find ourselves, please hear me on this. I'm hoping y'all are with me enough to hear this. There is a time where we are allowing ourselves to be intimate with a culture, with a society, with a, with a world that ultimately is going to produce nothing. And giving birth to the wind is painful. And Paul here says, why would you do this when it's unfruitful? At best, you're going to come out with nothing in the end. The best outcome for you is barrenness. The son comes to himself in this land of barrenness. He comes to himself in this land of fruitlessness and decides, I would rather be a servant in my, son, in my father's house than do things my way. Look, I, I, I know this might surprise some of you, But there have been many times where I've prayed for dear loved ones of mine, that God would give them enough freedom to find what's at the end of it. I wondered for a long time, why did the father do this? I mean, Just to be blunt, it's like handing a loaded gun to a four-year-old. Like, like the kid was clearly stupid, right? Like, I mean... The son, that the prodigal son, is clearly not the sharpest tool in the shed. He's clearly not the brightest color in the crayon box. He's 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 a few fries short of a happy meal. The guy's not all there, and the father's like, okay, cool. And we don't even read any heartache in the father. I mean, literally, the son's like, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have some money? I don't know about your dad, but my my ear would have been hurting for a while. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would have not ended well for me at that moment but i think what's what's trying to be shown here to us by jesus is there is a freedom that the father is willing to give his kids because he knows the end of the road son rehashes his, his i mean really lame speech right i mean if you're really honest like that is clearly a speech written by somebody who's really hungry blood sugar's a little low not thinking quite right Probably have a little, you know, for those of us who are into health stuff, he probably has a little bit of gut problems. You know, like he's, he's struggling here. And that's the best speech he can come up with. Hey, Dad, I know I took half of everything you owned and squandered it on reckless living in another country. And I've been, by the way, feeding pigs, which makes me unclean and I shouldn't even be allowed in your house. I probably don't smell that great. But can I come back and work for you? Right, because he's like the model employee at this point, right? <laughs> How'd you leave your last job? I just left. <laughs> oh, how are you with investment? Not great. I mean, um, I squandered everything that was mine, but I'll be better with yours, right? I mean, like, no. it But yet in his sin, in his filth, in his, I mean, just stop and realize. Again, I, by the way, I don't know if, if I've mentioned this in a while. I, I don't personally believe, and this isn't something you build a doctrine around, but I don't personally believe that the parables were stories that Jesus made up. I think all the parables really happened. I don't think the God of the universe who knows all things needs to make up stories. It's just, a, it's just my opinion. You can believe whatever you want. I don't care. But, but either way, let's, let's ground this in the reality that I think Jesus wants it to be in. This dude's been, okay, they didn't have running water at this time, okay? So he's been living recklessly, Wink, wink, hint, hint, okay? And he, he's been living recklessly, squandering all he had on reckless living, and then after that, no running water, decided to go take a job feeding pigs, okay, living with the pigs. And yet the father runs, and what does he do? He buries himself in him. He embraces him. He hugs him. Please hear me. There is no need for you. And this is where, where, where Ephesians gets to at the end here. He says, look, don't don't try to hide your sin. There's shame in secrecy. And I know this is hard for us to believe because we we, we are so and completely and utterly corrupted in the way that we think. But honestly, please believe me, the best thing that could happen to you right now is for me to find a videotape of all of the horrible things that you've done, those things that keep you up late at night, and to put them on the five o'clock news. Because then you couldn't hide anymore. Then you couldn't pretend like everything was OK and you got this life thing figured out, and everything was going to be great, and you're just kind of moving along, and everything will be awesome. The best thing that could happen is to just expose it. say, "This is what this is the real me. This kid couldn't hide the way he was living when he came home. I mean, the best he could hope for is like, jump in a river. Yeah, we've all been camping. that works, you know couldn't swing by a store and grab some dry shampoo and kind of make himself look better. You know, the point is not get better and then come to Jesus. The point is not deal with your dark, secret, shameful sins and then come to the light. There's no way to do that. Paul here tells us, look, just let the light shine on you. It'll expose it. It'll deal with it. I was a cabin counselor at summer camps. And... Some junior hires haven't figured out the whole, you know, when you go to the bathroom and when you don't when you're asleep, you know? And so those mats, just so you know, you're what, they all have been peed on, okay? When you go to summer camp, they've all, it's not water, okay? And you know what? I was taught the sun is one of the best disinfectants we have. So we would clean these things off, rinse them out, and then we just put them out in the sun. And you know what would happen? All the stench, all the nasty would go away. The sun is going to be the best disinfectant for your life. Just exposing that light, finding a fellowship, a community of people. Hopefully, this is one of them. Come on, somebody. Or you can be real with other people. Say, like, these are the things I struggle with. <laughs> these are the things I've done. I love how we, I struggle with this. What does struggle mean? I give into it about once a day. That's not a struggle. <laughs> yeah, I struggle with it. I feel really bad afterwards. That's not struggling. Expose them to light. Let the light shine upon you. Verse fourteen: Awake, O sleepers, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Come on, somebody. That's the answer. Go home. Go back to the Father. What happened to the Son when he goes back to the Father? He's given a robe to cover up his nastiness. He's given a ring to reinstate him—the ring of a family, by the way—in case y'all aren't a nerd like me and don't know this stuff. In that culture, that ring meant he could do business as his father. Put a ring on his finger. He wasn't just given a job as a servant. He was reinstated as a son. And they celebrated. How crazy is that? My dad would have beat me with an inch of my life. Rightfully, by the way. (laughs) No, the father embraces him, and literally in a moment, he goes from being a broke, reckless living, begging to be a servant, to being a son. His shame is covered, his authority is reinstated. By the will of the father, by the good will of the father, by the choice of the father, not because he did enough, not because he earned it, not because his speech was good enough. His heart was in the right place, come on. He didn't come home and say, Dad, I'm your kid. Let let me back in. But please hear me. The Father embraced him before his speech. There's a need for repentance. There's a need to allow the working of the Holy Spirit to bring us to a place where we recognize that we're wrong and he's right, where we come to ourselves. That transformation can happen instantly as we allow the working and the will of the Father to take place in our life. Awaken, O sleepers, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Listen, I said none of this was for you if you were not a son. Here's the good news. In him you can be. If you're here this morning, you've never heard this before, you've never realized this, and I don't care whether you've been in church your whole life or this is the first time you've walked in, because we got all kinds here. Sonship. reconciliation, life. I love this. Awaken, O sleepers, arise from the dead. Anybody else remember Lazarus? Another story so familiar in the Bible, it's creeped into culture. Lazarus was dead in a grave. Jesus spoke three words and he became alive again. Maybe what's happening to you this morning you ever thought about that story from Lazarus' perspective? Like Lazarus is finally resting for the first time. Like he's finally asleep. Right? He's finally dead. The weariness and the struggle. The dude had been sick for a long time and he finally get, got to die. And he's just kicking it in a cave. The Bible says that they rolled the, Jesus called them to roll the stone out of the, out of the way. So the, the, the tomb would have been sealed, which means that the airlock is broken and fresh air for the first time in days rushes into this guy's space, his environment, his atmosphere, his world. Suddenly, instantly, the atmosphere is changed because of the words of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, reverberating throughout the entire cave, Jesus speaks, Lazarus, come forth, and you better believe that's the same mouth that spoke the world into existence. Lazarus had no choice at that point but to get up and walk out. Maybe for you today, I hope that that's what's happening. If you've never experienced the moving and the working and the reconciliation, if you've never been saved, if you've never been redeemed, my hope this morning is that through worship, through what you've heard, the atmosphere of your world has been changed, and there is now fruitfulness available to you when you hear the word of God. Hopefully life is coming to your heart and all you gotta do, come on, is what you can't help but do, which is stand up and walk out. And what you find waiting at the end there is a father ready to throw a robe on you and stick a ring on your finger because you're a son. I just wanna give time today, honestly, for us to respond to this because here's the truth, the reason why I wanted to cover this in one week, hopefully you see it a little bit, but there's, there's another reason, and that is after this, the next 39 verses beat this drum into in every area of our life. We're about to talk about how this now affects your sonship, affects Everything. I'm talking about in your day in, day out, boring life. I mean, he gets down to like your job, your relationships, your kids, your parents, your family, your wife, all of it. He wants us to marinate in this because please hear me, there is a potential for your life to be a platform to demonstrate the grace of God. But if you think in any way, shape, or form that you could possibly earn that, you miss the whole thing. You're not a son because of yourself. Please hear me, I love you. You're a son in despite yourself. So I want us to just take some time this morning and respond and satur- allow the Holy Spirit to saturate the reality and the truth of this into our lives. So That's our custom. We're gonna enter back into worship now. This is not the hurry up and play the song so I can go to Kidoba. This is our chance, our opportunity, our time, our space to respond to the Lord in what we've heard. So I'm going to pray, and we, we respond here in kind of simple ways. You can feel free to sit, stand, kneel, find a space in this room. And then we partake in communion. We've decided as a community to take communion every week as a reminder of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, which is the only way that we're made sons. We take by method known as in teach and where we take a piece of bread and dip it into the cup and partake as you feel led throughout the service. No usher is gonna come and tap you on the shoulder and tell you it's your turn. Just take that as you feel led. It, the only requirement we have is those that the scripture lays upon it, which is that you have experienced the reconciling, redeeming work of Jesus to partake. You don't have to have completed a class. You don't have to sign a document just need to know Jesus, whether that happened for the first time today or you've walked with him for years. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship. Holy Spirit, we thank you. And I thank you that you you have brought to us this day the reminder of who we are in Christ. I thank you that regardless of my past, regardless of what I have done, What you have done trumps what I have done. And that in you, I can be reconciled. That Jesus, through what you have done, I can be made new.